here. Amen. Hebrews chapter number one. I've got so many things on my mind, and so um, if uh, Mr. Laura will stand, have my wife stand quickly, and just uh, want to say, hi, sweetie. <laughs> there she is. Yeah. And so Hebrews chapter number one. The late Dr. John Phillips, uh, a Bible scholar, uh, writer, teacher, and preacher, he said the book of Hebrews was written to the Jew who had been visiting with the Christian, been hanging out with the Christian and talking with the Christian. Hebrews was written to the Jew who had been attending the local church. And over a period of time, this Jew has been convinced by the theology, by type and shadow in his Old Testament Bible, that Jesus of Nazareth is his Messiah. Someone say amen. amen. But this Jew is afraid to commit to Jesus. And fellow Jews tell him, do not commit to Jesus of Nazareth, because if you do that, you will be considered as one who's dead. And the dead in this world have no friends or family or employment and so forth. The book of Hebrews was written to him. And the book of Hebrews tells this Jew, commit to Jesus Christ. Because you have no sacrifice in that old religion that can save you. The book of Hebrews was written to him. The book of Hebrews was also written to the Jew who had made the commitment to Jesus Christ. But now he's been ostracized by everyone in his old life. Indeed, he has suffered the loss of all things. And if that's not enough, now this Jew who's committed himself to Christ feels the pull to go back to the old life. Have you ever felt the pull to go back to the old life? This Jew begins to think about his past. He begins to think about the golden temple. And how the sun would shine down on the marble. In his mind, he can almost hear the trumpet calling for the evening sacrifice. He can see the people moving toward the sanctuary, to the courts of the temple. And he feels in his heart the nostalgia of his old life. He feels that emotional pull to go back because the temple was the center of his childhood. And now he is hiding with other believers in dens and caves of the earth. The book of Hebrews was written to him. And the book of Hebrews tells him it's better to be a Christian. And that word better is one of the great themes in this Christ-exalting book. Indeed, that word better applies to Jesus because in Jesus we have a better Savior than Moses. Someone say amen. 
In Jesus, we have a better Sabbath than the seventh day. Someone say, praise the Lord. In Jesus Christ, we have a better uh, temple than the sanctuary in the Old Testament. And of course, we have a better sacrifice in Jesus Christ. Now, there is debate and there has been discussion about who wrote the book of Hebrews. Who is the author? The late Dr. Phillips said it was the Apostle Paul. And he would cite chapter 13, verse 23, I believe, and he would use that as kind of a proof text to say that the Apostle Paul penned the book of Hebrews. But if you notice, Paul did not put his name down in this book. Now, during this time, when someone penned a letter, they would always put their names in the beginning. Peter, to the elect of Paul. James, to the twelve tribes scattered abroad. Paul, to the saints at Philippi, and so forth. So the signer or the writer would put their names in the beginning, unlike what we do today. We put our names at the end. But Paul didn't put his name there. If he's the author, and Dr. Phillips says he had more sense than to put his name there because Christians feared him. They were skeptical of him, and so he didn't put his name. But that's okay because if we look at chapter number 1, verse number 1, if the person who pens the letter puts his name in the beginning, who is the writer of the book of Hebrews? Chapter 1, verse 1. Who's the writer? God. God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time passed unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son. And so we have a better prophet than the prophets. Amen, praise the Lord. Now there's a lot in the book of Hebrews. Someone say amen. So what can we focus on for just a few moments as we have our evening devotion tonight? Well, let's go over to chapter number four. Chapter number four. So we see that Hebrews has a better signer than Paul. God is the signer. And let's look at these verses quickly tonight. Hebrews chapter four, verses 14 through 16. The Bible says, seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us, therefore, come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. May God add a blessing to the reading of his word to our hearts this evening. In these verses, beloved, we have a summary of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you look at verse number 14, it says, Jesus, who is he? He's the Son of God. Praise the Lord. And that is also indicating that uh, this, this person is deity. When you see that, uh, that title, Son of God, this is who he is, uh, church. And look at verse number 15. What is he? Do you see that Jesus is our high priest? 
Now look at verse number 16. Where is he? He's on the throne of grace. Now church, I don't have to tell you, we don't have to live the Christian life very long and we realize that we truly do fall short of God's glory. We fall short of His moral perfections. It doesn't take long to figure out that we fail God. Amen. But Jesus Christ, the Son of God, praise the Lord, our High Priest is on the throne of grace and He is ready to help us get up and go on for Him. Someone say, praise the Lord. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. That's our text this evening. So I want to draw your attention, first of all, where it says in verse 16, let us therefore come. This theme, come to God, is the crown jewel theme in all of the word of God. Psalm 73, 28 says, it is good for me to draw near or to come to God. James 4, 8 says, draw nigh to God or come to God and God will draw nigh or come to you. Praise the Lord. Most of you probably know Matthew eleven twenty eight. Jesus said, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Coming to God or drawing near to God is also a theme in the book of Hebrews. Chapter 7, verse 19 says, The law made nothing perfect, but the bringing in of a better hope did, by the which we draw nigh or come to God. Chapter 10, verse 22 says, Let us draw near or come to God with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Years ago, uh, again, when I had hair, praise the Lord, I remember coming home uh, from a temporary duty assignment, and I remember getting off of the jet bridge, and you can see the people as they're waiting for the passengers, you know. And I was anticipating seeing Laura. I think we had two little boys at the time. And I was so excited to see him. And then I saw him. And they were about maybe where Brother Marvin is sitting, right about, but I could see him, brother. I could see him. And then Laura saw me. And I could sense that she wanted to draw near to me and embrace me. Man, what a feeling. If we were to go back to the book of Genesis, we would read the account of when Joseph revealed himself to his brothers. Do you remember that? Do you remember when he saw Benjamin? Do you remember what happened? Bible says that Joseph and Benjamin embraced one another and they wept on each other for a good while. I wonder what that reunion was like. I said all that to say this. Beloved, I don't think we realize how much God wants us to draw near to him. And I think all true believers want to draw near to God. Amen. The problem is, and there's always a problem, amen. 
The problem is, we've got so many things pulling us in every direction. Can you believe the holidays are just right around the corner again? Wow. Well, I can't think of a better time of year than for us to say, you know what? It's going to be another busy holiday season, but you know how some people determine. They determine, I'm not going to do this anymore. They determine, I'm going to do that. And I just want to submit this simple thought tonight. God wants us to draw near to Him. So let's determine. We're going to determine to draw near to God. Three thoughts tonight. First of all, number one, how do we do that? How do we do that? Look at verse number 16. Verse 16 says, let us therefore come, notice the next word, church, boldly. Boldly. Now that word boldly does not indicate that we go into God's presence thinking that we are all that in a bag of Baptist chips. Someone say amen. We do not swagger into the presence of God. Now some of you may be thinking, what's that scripture? Uh, 1 John 2, 28, And now little children abide in him, that when he shall appear we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about when we just think we are all that and we deserve to go into God's presence. No, that's not what that word boldly means. That word boldly simply means to say everything that's on our hearts. To say something boldly means that we just tell it like it is and we don't hold back. Psalm 62 verse number 8 says, You people... Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Selah. That's a good verse, amen? I remember when my boys, especially when they were little, and it's tough because as a dad, this could be a bad thing. Sometimes it was a good thing. I didn't have a dad growing up. I never knew my real dad. So the military became my dad, and so my leadership style as a husband and a father and as a pastor and some of these things, that I adopted that leadership style. And so that's good or bad depending on who you ask. Amen. So children should have a healthy fear of mommy and daddy because that's going to determine how they view God. Their view of God will be somewhat shaped by their view of us. However, at the same time, uh, we are to be loving and kind. And sometimes I don't know if they were so afraid of dad, I'd ask them. I said, son, what's wrong? Something's wrong, buddy. Tell me, what's, what's wrong? And they would be afraid to tell dad. And I'd have to reassure them. Hey, son, I love you, buddy. And I put my arm around. I love you, man. And then they would begin to tell me everything. And they wouldn't hold back. That's how we come to God. We don't hold back, but we pour out our hearts before Him. Have you ever prayed and you think to yourself, you're thinking while you're praying and you're, and you're thinking to yourself, well, I'm not going to tell God that. 
because I, I just want to be dignified in God's presence. So I'm really not going to say this, how I feel. No, it says pour out your heart before him. Someone say praise the Lord. All right, hold your place here, church, and let's go to Matthew chapter number 15. Matthew chapter number 15. Let's switch gears or shift gears here. Matthew 15. And let's look at verses 21 through 28. Matthew 15, 21 through 28. The Bible says, Then Jesus went thence and departed into the coasts of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came out of the same coasts and cried unto him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with a devil. But he answered her not a word. And his disciples came and besought him, saying, Send her away, for she crieth after us. You've got to love those guys, right? Mercy. Verse 24, But he answered and said, I am not sent, but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then came she and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. You ought to probably circle or star or highlight that. Lord, help me. But he answered and said, it is not meat, it's not appropriate to take the children's bread and to cast it to dogs. And she said, truth, Lord, yet... The dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered and said unto her, O woman, great is thy faith. Be it unto thee, even as thou wilt. And her daughter was made whole from that very hour. Now, church, can you see how she didn't hold back? Boy, there's a lot we could preach in here. Uh, my pastor uh, preached a message from this text years ago, and the title of the message was, No Doesn't Always Mean No. No. Hallelujah. I love that. But do you notice this woman? She certainly poured out her heart to God. She didn't hold back. Amen. My daughter is grievously vexed with a devil. But do you notice something else about this woman and what she said? She kept coming back to God again and again and again. Are you picking up what we're throwing down right there? Or as one guy said, are you smelling what we're spraying right there? Praise the Lord. I wonder if this woman was related to the widow in Luke 18. Do you remember that account? Remember, she went to the unjust judge and she said, Avenge me of my adversary. Avenge me of my adversary. And the unjust judge said, this is the KMV, the Kevin Murdoch version. And he said, well, I don't respect God and I don't care about men, but I'm going to avenge this woman of her adversary, lest by her continual coming she weary me. Now, God, I don't think, is upset uh, with us about our importunity, but this is what we're all trying to say here. Verse 16 says, Let us therefore come boldly. This verb here, come, indicates repetition. 
Repetition. So God says, keep coming to me. Say everything that's on your heart. Praise the Lord. Keep coming back to me. That's how we draw near to God. Psalm 55, 17 says, Evening and morning and at noon will I pray and cry aloud and he will hear me. It is God's desire that we draw near to him. And I believe his people want to. The problem is we have so many things, good things that pull us in every direction. And so, beloved, what we have to do is we have to determine. We determine, and I can think of no better time of year to determine to draw near to God. Number two, where? Where to draw near to God? Look at verse number 16. Back in Hebrews chapter 4, verse number 16 says, Unto the throne of grace. Now, when I think of a throne, I don't know what you picture in your mind, but I picture something that, on the one hand, may be very, very beautiful. But when I see a throne, I see something that is very, very powerful. I see something that is very, very majestic. I see something in my mind that inspires awe. If we were to go back to 1 Kings chapter number 10, we would see, church, a description of the throne of Solomon. And the Bible says that the throne of Solomon was overlaid with the best gold. There were steps that ascended up to the throne of Solomon. And the Bible says on either side there were majestic lions, And the Bible says there was no other throne like it in any kingdom on earth. Now, I don't know about you, when I read about a description like that, I can't help but think about what God's throne might look like. You ever thought of that? Psalm 47 verse 8 says, God sitteth upon the throne of His holiness. It's a holy throne. Jeremiah 14, 21 says, Do not disgrace the throne of thy glory. God's throne is a glorious throne. Psalm 89, 14 says, God's throne is a throne of justice and judgment, where wisdom proceedeth. But let's remember, these descriptions are just the wrapping the packaging. These descriptions of God's throne are the envelopes, the core and center and heart of God's throne is grace. It's a throne of grace. Let's define grace. Now, there's a million definitions, and we sing wonderful grace of Jesus and all of that, but I like what this guy said. He said, Grace is the New New Testament word for the undeserved favor and loving regard of God to man who is weak and sinful and unworthy. It is love which has its own motive apart from any regard to the worthiness in the object upon which it falls. 
Let's consider for just a moment the supremacy of grace. Hold your place and let's go back to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter number 2. Ephesians chapter number 2. For a moment, let's just talk about the supremacy of grace. Ephesians 2, verses 4 through 7. The Bible says, But God, who is rich in mercy for His great love, wherewith He loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace are you saved, and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Why has He done that? Look at verse number 7. That in the ages to come He might show the exceeding riches of His grace. I don't know about you, but that, that blows me away right there. We've been raised up and we are sitting... Brother Tim, one day we're going to be sitting together, brother, in heavenly places. Brother, we're going to be sitting there and we're going to... You know what? We're going to say, can you believe the message the Lord just preached on His grace? Can you believe that, brother? And Brother Tim says, I can't wait to hear what he says tomorrow. It's going to be so good. That in the ages to come. That is the supremacy of grace because we will have to learn about it for all of the ages. Grace must be pretty important. Amen. The supremacy of grace. Now, here is our application. Easy to preach, hard to live. Romans 5.20 says, But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. So that teaches me and tells me Grace, not vengeance, should overflow from my life into yours. Easy to preach, hard to live. But surely, there is something or someone or some event, something has happened, or even maybe in our hearts we are tempted to have vengeance. But the application about grace is that, no, it's grace, not vengeance, that overflows into others peop- other people's lives. Easy to preach and hard to live. Amen. Am I alone? Are y'all with me? Y'all okay? All right, all right. It is God's desire that we draw near to Him. And the holidays are coming, and I can't think of a better time than to determine to draw near to Him. Amen. The last thought tonight, and we're done, is... Why? Why? Why draw near to God? This is back in our text in Hebrews 4, verse 16. This is why we draw near to God. That we may receive mercy and may find grace to help in time of need. Now, this is kind of going to... uh, getting ahead of myself here a little bit, but I want you to notice these words in verse 16. It says, why do we draw near to God, church, that we may receive, may find? That tells me there is doubt whether or not I will receive or I may find. There's doubt 
I'm getting ahead of myself, but we would be wise to draw near to God. Why? So that we may receive, we will receive rather, we will receive mercy, and we will find grace. I don't want there to be any doubt about that. Now let's move forward and let's go to uh, Luke chapter number 10. So why do we draw near to God then? Well, we need mercy and grace. Amen. Now what is mercy and grace? We've touched on grace a little bit, but let's touch on mercy with it. Luke chapter 10, verses 30 through 37. Luke 10, verses 30 through 37 Uh, Well, let's read verse 29 too. It says, But he, willing to justify himself, said unto Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus answering said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. By the way, I believe this is a real account. I don't believe this is a parable. It may say parable. I believe this is a real account here. Verse 31, And by chance there came down a certain priest that way, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And likewise, a Levite, when he was at the place, came and looked on him and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, He had compassion on him. Do you see grace right there? That's grace right there. And went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and sent him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. That's mercy. He didn't just have compassion, but he did something. Verse 35, and on the morrow when he departed, he took out two pence and gave them to the host and said unto him, take care of him and whatsoever thou spendest more when I come again, I will repay thee. By the way, who is the Samaritan? Who is the Samaritan? That picture is the Lord Jesus Christ. What is the end? The end It's the church. Who is the host? You and me. And Jesus says, you take care of this wounded person until I come back. And I'll take care of you when I do. Someone say amen right there. Verse 36. Which now of these three thinkest thou was neighbor unto him that fell among thieves? And he said... He that showed, what's the next word? Mercy on him. Then said Jesus unto him, Go and do thou likewise. This is truly mercy and grace. Someone said, If mercy forgives our failings, grace helps us not to fail again. If mercy grants life, then grace nourishes that life. If mercy rescues us, then grace guides us. If mercy is the foundation of salvation, then grace is the top stone of that temple. So why draw near to God? Because we need mercy and grace. But notice, church, and this is really important, in time of need. There are two perspectives 
with regard to those two little prepositional phrases, in time of need. The first in time of need means that the help and the strength and the deliverance and the comfort and the sanity, praise the Lord, we need will arrive precisely at the right time. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 21. Quickly, quickly, we need to finish up. Genesis chapter number 21. Genesis 21 and verses 14 through 19. Genesis 14, or excuse me, 21 verses 14 through 19. The Bible says, Genesis 21, 14, And Abraham rose up early in the morning and took bread and a bottle of water and gave it unto Hagar, putting it on her shoulder and the child and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. Church, do you think she was experiencing a time of need? Oh, yeah, uh, because the biscuits were going to run out in three, two, one. No more sweet tea. It's gone. All right, look at verse number 15. And the water was spent in the bottle. And she cast the child under one of the shrubs. She's in a time of need, y'all. Verse 16, And she went and sat her down over against him a good way off, as it were a bowshot. For she said, Let me not see the death of the child. And she sat over against him and lift up her voice and wept. She was in a time of need. When was the last time You wept because you had a time of need. Or you knew someone who had a very difficult time in their life and they were weeping because they had a time of need. Now, Grace is going to start talking in three, two, one. And God heard the voice of the lad. And the angel of God called to Hagar out of heaven and said unto her, What aileth thee, Hagar? Fear not, for God hath heard the voice of the lad where he is. Aren't you glad God knows where we live? Praise the Lord. Verse 18, Arise, lift up the lad and hold him in thine hand, for I will make him a great nation. Mercy's going to start talking in three, two, one. And God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water, and she went and filled the bottle with water and gave the lad drink. Now, here's one of the little mini messages we're going to take from this little portion of Scripture. Mercy and grace will not arrive too early to prevent the tears from falling. Did you get that? Mercy and grace will not arrive too early to prevent the tears from falling. Mercy and grace will not arrive too early to keep us from agonizing in prayer. 
Mercy and grace will not arrive too early to keep me from complaining and moaning and groaning. But praise God, mercy and grace will arrive. In time of need, the first in time of need means the help, the comfort, the strength, the sanity that we need will arrive precisely when it's supposed to. But there's another meaning to in time of need. The second in time of need refers to a future time. Do you know why God wants us to get into the habit of going to the throne of grace now? Young people, especially? (laughs) Because God knows one day your life may come crashing down. And we are going to need mercy and grace to suffer in our suffering hours. Now, I'm not a prophet nor the son of a prophet. But Jesus said to the religious leaders, how how can you read the signs of the sky, but you cannot read the signs of the time? I heard a message recently on the persecution of believers. And the preacher was talking about how the persecution, you remember that illustration of the frog that's in the water? And the heat is, he's in this little pan, I guess, and the heat is slowly turned up. And by the time the frog realizes he's in trouble, it's too late. And he's in boiling water and he's, he's done. Among many things, persecution to God's people comes slowly, incrementally, but it comes. I don't know about you, but some of the things that I see happening in our country today, I'm not trying to be a gloom cookie, y'all. I'm just trying to say, we better go to the throne of grace because there may be some days coming in our future where we're going to need some mercy and grace. History always seems to repeat itself because mankind is helplessly uh, doomed uh, to repeat itself. And we need mercy and grace in a future time. One last scripture and then we're done. Luke 15 and we're done. time. Luke 15. Verses 17 and following. This is the story of the prodigal son. You probably have heard this, read this many, many times. The Bible says, when he, the prodigal son, when he came to himself, he said, how many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him, and had compassion, and ran, and fell on his neck, and kissed him. 
And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight and am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring hither the fatted calf and kill it. Let us eat and be merry, for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. The prodigal son drew near, didn't he? How did he do it? Boldly. He told his father just like it was in his life. He was in a time of need, and he told him and confessed everything. Where did he go? To his father's feet. Amen? Why? For mercy and grace to help him in his time of need. Close your Bibles, church. Close your Bibles. It's better to be a Christian. But my fear is, even as I, of course, look at my own life, and most preachers will tell you that these things come out of their own lives, it's better to be a Christian. But let us all determine to draw near to God. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for Brother Stone, Brother Preston, all the wonderful people of Lakeway Baptist Church. Thank you for their kindness, Lord. Thank you for their attention. And Lord, I don't know what the future holds, but I do know that we need to draw near to you. And although, Lord, I believe that you will take your church out of this world before the time of Jacob's trouble, Daniel's 70th week, the great tribulation period, Lord, there is no guarantee that we will not experience any kind of persecution. Nevertheless, in thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. So, Lord, in the midst of all of the good things that keep us busy, that pull us this way and that way, help us determine to draw near to you. Our heads bowed before the Lord, pastors coming, and whatever God is speaking to you about, maybe it's completely unrelated to the message. Like I said, people walk through the doors. I don't know the burdens they're carrying, but I do know we sing that song, Does God care? Yes, God cares. And the Bible tells us, cast all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Whether you need comfort or whether you need assurance, whether you need a miracle, when God speaks, don't walk out the door. Let's respond to the Father and pastors is coming. Heavenly Father, we are very, very grateful, Lord, again, for this time in your word. And I, I pray that it was helpful. And I pray that someone has hope or maybe hope rekindled in their hearts and in their lives. I pray, Heavenly Father, 
that you will do your great work and do that precious business that occurs deep within. Lord, we are complicated people. We are sinful people. But we do know that you love us. And you said, let your requests be made known unto God. So whatever requests are brought to you, Lord, today, tonight, I pray that you will please let us know that you have heard and let us know that you will do work to resolve whatever issue it may be. Maybe someone just needs to tell their Heavenly Father, I love you. I love you, Lord. Whatever the case may be, I, I just pray that you will do that. And Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen. Page number 423.